Welcome to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. The passage right after ours are all the steps that the disciples are going to have to take when they go out on missions. Our particular passage lays the groundwork for their mission and should lay the groundwork for all decisions. What is that groundwork? You're listening to First Things First by Pastoral Care Associate and Seminarian Chad Borsma. Our scripture reading tonight comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 1514, and we'll read together Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. We read these words, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is the word of the Lord. Imagine with me, if you will, if you will, a story of two friends playing in a backyard sandbox. They are going at it with their trucks, their shovels, their pails. Sand is flying as they build hills, as they dig tunnels, as they shape roads for their cars to travel on. One of them notices, though, through the opening of the door to the garage, that a pizza delivery vehicle has pulled into the driveway. Shortly thereafter, the mom of one of the boys calls out, Time for lunch! The two race into the house, kick off their shoes, and see the steaming pizza laying open on the dining room table. Famished from their serious efforts in the sandbox, they are ready to dig in. Hold it, Mom says. Not so fast. First, you need to wash your hands. First things first. Our story that we read tonight is followed by a lengthy series of instructions in chapter 10 that Jesus gives to his disciples. Some call these instructions Jesus' second discourse or his sermon on mission. He says things to them like, go to the lost sheep of Israel, proclaim that the kingdom of heaven has come near, take no bag for the journey, as you enter a home, give it your greeting. There are lots of things that disciples have to do and not do. But before Jesus gives them these instructions on how they are to go, we find Jesus telling them, in a matter of speaking, that they too need to put first things first. Our passage tonight begins with Jesus on the move. He is a traveling preacher, an itinerant evangelist, 
walking and moving about the province of Galilee, teaching and preaching the good news of the kingdom. Jesus goes everywhere, not just to the cities to see the masses, but he also goes to the smaller villages to see those lesser crowds as well. And as he goes everywhere, he heals every disease and he heals every sickness as he seeks to relieve the human misery that he encounters. What Jesus sees, though, in addition to human sickness, are crowds in, in, in need of a different kind of help. The two words that Matthew uses to describe this are often translated harassed and helpless. The words imply that people are walking with difficulty because they are bewildered, mangled, cast down. Jesus sees them as sheep without a shepherd. Philip Keller in his book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, describes how sheep can get turned over on their backs and not able to get themselves up again. Such sheep are cast or cast down sheep. These sheep flail with their legs in the air, trying to get back, but they can't do it without the shepherd's help. Left in this condition helpless and vulnerable to their enemies, they will likely die after a few hours or perhaps as much as a few days. This is a picture of people without Jesus, without the Good Shepherd. Outwardly, they may look calm and comfortable, but Jesus sees their hearts. They are unable to extricate themselves from their sin causing them to be downcast and dispirited. This is also a picture of those without good spiritual leadership. The Jewish religious leaders of Jesus' day, the scribes and the Pharisees, should have been shepherding these people and, and pointing them to God. But instead, they were self-righteous and self-seeking asking more of the people than they were willing to give them. An example of this were their strict laws they created for people to follow, especially the, the rules and regulations they gave for observation of the Sabbath. This type of leadership left people weary and worn. Jesus looks at the entire situation and he gazes upon the crowd with his eyes. And if we were to use a modern paraphrase, he might say, these people are barely making it. I don't think that I need to tell anyone here tonight that there are many people in our world today who are barely making it. Some deal with health issues like cancer or dementia some wrestle with emotional conditions like depression or bipolar disorder. Still others struggle with social and relational conflicts, especially since COVID began. For example, 
I have been a teacher for 26 years. In some families that I have worked with previously, their attitudes have changed dramatically since the beginning of the pandemic. There are so many people who appear to be angry about so many things. Of course, there are also concerns here in our own LaGrave neighborhood, such as homelessness and food insecurity. One issue that we are trying to assist tonight, if I look into the narthex and I see the donations of food and and monetary donations as we seek to relieve that need in the neighborhood for the downtown food pantry. The needs are everywhere. And so are the need for more workers. Sometimes, though, even when we have more workers, we don't have the eyes to see as Jesus sees. A number of years ago, researchers decided to find out if seminary students would be good Samaritans. Never know about seminarians, you know. They met individually with 40 ministerial students and told them they would be doing a study of careers in the church. Each student was instructed to walk to a nearby building to record an impromptu talk. Some were told to speak on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Others were told to speak on career concerns that they were experiencing. Meanwhile, the researchers planted an actor along the path who, as the seminarian approached, groaned and slumped to the ground. They found that more than half of the students simply walked right on by. The researchers noted, some who were planning their dissertation, this speech, on the Good Samaritan, literally stepped over the slumped body as they hurried along their way. Probably your first reaction to that story is to think, how could these students be so hard-hearted as to ignore this hurting man? In this situation, they were so preoccupied with themselves and the immediate pressure they faced, this talk they had to give, that they did not see the obvious need in their own path. They did not see the slumped-over man as Jesus would have seen him. But my hunch is that those students represent many of us, if we're honest. Often we don't see as Jesus sees either. When we're out in public, do we look at people's faces? If we do, we see many distressed, troubled people, some who are cast down by the circumstances of life, some who are caught in the entanglement of their own sins, some even by the church who fail to show them the path of Jesus and the grace and the mercy they so desperately need. Jesus, in our text tonight, does not bypass or ignore the people who are in desperate need. Instead, he he looks upon them. He sees their helplessness and he has compassion on them. Not a feeling that comes from the mind or even just from the heart, but a feeling that goes down deep, down to the gut, down to the bowels 
That's the meaning of the Greek word used in this text, splagnitsima. Jesus feels for these people, and their need grabs him down deeply. Then, as he stands there looking around the crowd, he turns and he faces his disciples and he says, The harvest is plentiful. So many people are in need. And workers, the laborers who can show this love, who can show this compassion, they are so few in number. The task at hand looks hopeless, as Jesus almost seems to admit. But statistics in God's world are not what really matters. What really matters is the living God. And Jesus refers the disciples, and he refers us to come to God in prayer. Ask, he says, beg, plead to the Father, to the Lord of the harvest, to send workers out into the harvest field. In the depressing face of immense need and tiny resources, the disciples are referred to the Lord in prayer and to his recruiting work, not theirs. Little did they know that the recruitment efforts would involve recruiting them for the work that was at hand. Dale Bruner, in his commentary on the book of Matthew, notes that the source of the church's missionary power from the human side is prayer, while from the divine side is the heart of Christ. We see that often in the book of Acts as well. Mission, humanly speaking, was born in a prayer meeting. Christian mission in the book of Matthew, too, is now launched for the first time formally, and this launching takes place by praying to the Father. What a wonderful combination. The compassion of Christ and the power of prayer. The deep compassion in tonight's text, as well as in Psalm 103 that we read earlier, almost appears to be something limited to God, doesn't it? But that Greek word, splagnitsima, is used in other places in Scripture as well, some of which involve Jesus, yes, but there are other places where God uses everyday people to show that compassion to others. The master who forgave the servant's debt from Matthew 18, the good Samaritan from Luke 10, and the father of the prodigal son from Luke 15. All of these stories use that same word and they give us a glimpse of what it looks like to demonstrate that deep compassion. So does a story that Howard Vanderwell tells in his book, Living and Loving Life, about a group of children. They were standing in a huddle on a playground, and most of them standing in that huddle were crying. In the center was a young boy doubled over in pain. 
a teacher approached the group. And she looked at them and she said, What's the matter? What is the problem? One little girl, through her tears, said, We've all got the pain in Jimmy's stomach. What a wonderful explanation and illustration of compassion. The ability to feel someone else's pain in your stomach. Those who have been loved by Christ, Vanderwell says, ought to have sensitive stomachs, just as Jesus did. And that heart of Christ should lead the church to the heart of prayer. Bruner notes in his commentary that praying to God needs to be first if we are to expand our mission and reach others for Christ. Attempts to enlarge mission that largely bypass prayer and depend on other things are often doomed to fail. This has been true in many mainline churches where prayer meetings have ceased and congregations rely instead heavily on things such as reorganization, stewardship drives, and committee work thinking that they alone will be sufficient. Now, don't misunderstand me. I know that here at LaGrave, much good, effective kingdom work happens by committee. We are a church of committees, after all. But even so, Jesus teaches in this passage tonight that prayer needs to come First, we need God to guide us by his spirit. We need God to lead us as we make decisions. We need God to supply all we need. We need God to help us see as Jesus sees. I have to confess that I am a list maker And I find it an effective way to get things done. Perhaps some of you can relate. During my years of teaching, I have always had a white legal pad with things to do written across the top. From my desk at home, to my bag, to my desk at school, and back again, it always goes with me. I have lists for church, too. People to visit. Calls to make emails to send. And as I get older, these lists have become even more important because if I don't write things down, I often forget to do them. Perhaps some of you can relate to that as well. But sometimes we fall into the trap thinking that hard work, list-making, agendas, meetings, as effective as they may be, will be sufficient. Sometimes we forget that it is God who is the one who supplies all our needs and that prayer needs to be the first focus. David Platt, in his book Radical, tells the story of a friend of his who spent a few weeks in South Korea a country that God has blessed with explosive growth in the Christian church. 
His friend was staying in a hotel. And one morning, he was awakened by a loud noise. It was four o'clock in the morning. He stumbled out of bed and made his way across the room. He pulled back the curtains to see a large stadium filled with people. He thought to himself, what kind of sport do Koreans play at four o'clock in the morning? Frustrated, he crawled back into bed and tried to get some sleep despite the noise that was coming from across the streets. Later that morning, he went down to the hotel lobby and he asked the manager what kind of sporting event was going on in the stadium at that time in the morning. The hotel manager responded, Sir, that was no sporting event. That was the church gathered for prayer. May God empower that same spirit of prayer to be evident in our country and in our community and in our church. People of God, let us put first things first and let us spend time together as the church gathered for prayer. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, we come to you tonight grateful for the way you speak to us through your word and by the power of your spirit. And we are equally grateful for the privilege we have to come to you in prayer. We ask for a spirit of prayer to sweep through our lives through this congregation here at LaGrave, through our denomination, and throughout your whole church. We also pray tonight and ask that you would give us eyes to see others with compassion that goes down deep, compassion that allows us to feel others' pain in our own stomach. Forgive us, O Lord, for the times we have been self-seeking and self-centered and have failed to see others as Jesus sees them. Sovereign Lord, we pray as well this evening, as you told your disciples to pray, send workers into the harvest field, Father, for the needs are many. We know that when the disciples prayed that prayer, they were praying for themselves, for you sent them to gather in your people to let them know that the kingdom of heaven had come near. Tonight, Father, make us your servants who are willing to be thrust out, cast out, driven out of our comfort zones. Light a fire under us so that we will go into a world of adventure and need to show the compassion of Jesus Christ. Use us, Father, to tell others that the kingdom of heaven has come near. In Jesus' name, and by the power of your spirit, amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.